Bay Hills Community Church is pleased to have you join us as we continue our series, The Story of David. Today, Terence Green looks at David's life and asks us, Why did God say no to my request? We're reminded that sometimes we get so busy doing work for God that we forget to do God's work. Listen as Terence gives us five reasons why the answer to prayer isn't yes, and then he gives us some ideas that will help us know what God wants for us in our lives. Good morning. First of all, he's not here, but uh, a big thank you to Pastor Dave for uh, fill, filling in last week. Uh, just craziness ensuing, and um, I don't. I think sometimes we forget how fortunate we are to have him as a pastor. Um, I heard he did a great job. I was praying for him. I had friends here, so I told him, "Don't don't be terrible." Um, and it sounded, it sounded like he did a great job. Also, uh, for all the the prayers, all the phone calls, all the the. Text messages, Facebook messages, carrier pigeons, everywhere, every way you guys try to get a hold of me over the last the course of the last week. Thank you for all the prayers. I've always said it, and I truly mean it. The best part of Bay Hills is the people. It really is. Thank you, and thank you for letting me know how much I'm loved and how much the family's loved. Uh, but before we jump in, uh, let's pray. Let's get into God's word. God, I thank you so much for who you are, just how amazing you are. Thank you for reminding us of our our need for you, not not just when things are bad, but our need for you all the time. God, I thank you. I thank you for how um, impactful your word can be, Lord. For how uh, how truthful it is, how it can it, it can pierce and show us exactly who we need to be and what we need to do, Lord. God, it's literally your your breath in my lungs right now, Lord. So I pray that nothing is that's said is said out of uh, vain conceit. Nothing that I, I say is, is to glorify Terrence or remove me and be glorified in this place. In your son's name, amen. All right, so I, um, I tried my hardest. I tried my hardest to work in a lot of jokes this week, and honestly, I failed. I've got to tell you right now, because this, this topic is huge, and this topic is why did God say no to my request? This topic is, is big, and for some of us, there are, there are barriers that we put up in our life because somewhere along the way we said, God, I need you to do this. God, I need you to step in and change this. God, you see this person over here that I love, and I need you to go and do that in their life. And for some reason, it seems like we've gotten to know. For some of us, we know people who should be here in this room this very morning, but because of a no that they got from God, they are not, and they won't. This is a huge, huge, huge topic. And I'm telling you, I I love sharing the stories of when God steps in and does stuff absolutely radical and just amazing and mind-blowing. I've had people come up to me after sermon after and they they're like, "Hey Terrence, can you can you pray with me and my husband because we've been trying and trying to conceive and we haven't been able to and can you can you pray with us that God will help us conceive a child?" And honestly, sometimes this happens and you guys know this about me at Target. If you I'm, I just want to tell you, if you see me at Target, 
I, I know I'm probably going to have to pray for you because people know it and they stop me in the weirdest moments. And so I'm praying for these people to be able to conceive a child and God got steps in and does something amazing. And then you see the kid walking around here and it's like, it's a little miracle from God. I've prayed with people who've had cancer and I've seen the cancer be healed. And it's absolutely phenomenal to see how God steps in and does something radical in people's lives. I've, I've, I've prayed with people who haven't had a job. I've prayed with people whose marriage was on life support and God has stepped in. And he's done something crazy and you can't explain it other than God. But unfortunately, I've prayed with some of you and you've gotten to know. Some of you said, Terrence, you know, I, I love, I love this person and my family and we got some news from the doctor and the news wasn't good at all. And I've, I've prayed, prayed with you. I've prayed for you fervently. And then I've attended the funeral for some of you. You say, you know what? I love this guy. This guy has to be the right person for me. And I'm praying that God will just let him know that I'm right for him, that he asked me to marry him and, and be his wife. And, and you get excited when he gets down on one knee, but it's just to tie a shoe. And you're like, what is going on? And then Eventually, he says, we have, to, we have to talk. And you get excited. Then he goes, I found someone else. And it's over. I prayed with some of you. And you go, you know what? I, I have a job that I, I have lined up. And pray for me that I get this job. And then you get the phone call. And they say, sorry, we've gone, we've gone with a different candidate. For some of you, you have kids that you used to bring to this place. And you look at their life right now. And they're going in a direction that is terrible. And you pray, God, bring them back to you. And the more you pray, it seems like the further away they get. You're not praying for anything bad. You're not praying for anything horrible. You're praying for something that should be right inside of the will of God. But at the same time, you're getting a no. This stuff matters. We're not praying for trivial things. We're not praying for things that, are, that could never happen. You're praying for things that God should want to bring about. But for some reason, you're getting a no, and it hurts. And it stings because this stuff matters. We're going to be in 2 Samuel chapter 7 today. It's going to be on page 306 if you have the Bible. It's here. Uh, the verses will be up there as well. Um, but we've got to catch up because we've skipped a lot. So at this point, David is king. Saul is dead. Now that sounds morbid, but that's good for David because David no longer has to hide from this guy. David no longer has to worry about being killed. Saul is dead. David is king over all of Israel. And the reason why I say all of Israel is because up to this point, Israel was divided. They were conquered and David and his armies came in and took back what God had given to them. The Ark of the Covenant, which was literally the presence of God to them at that point, had been rescued and brought back into Israel. Things were great. There was peace. David was able to sit in the evening and just be. But this is what we read. After the king, talking about David, was settled in his palace and the Lord had given him rest from all of his enemies around him, he said to Nathan, the prophet, who was now his best friend and spiritual advisor, he said, here I am living in a palace of cedar while the ark of God remains in a tent. Nathan replied to the king, whatever you have in mind, go ahead and do it for the Lord is with you. We have, we, we have this scene of David, the king sitting around with his family, with his friends. He's no longer on the run. 
He's king. God's promise to him has been fulfilled. He should be able to sit and rest and bask in the provision of God. But for some reason, he can't. And the reason he can't is because while he is in a fine palace, the presence of God, the ark, is out in the desert in a tent. God doesn't have what he deserves. Don't you just love David's heart? Say, you know what? It's not right for me to have everything and God not to have what he deserves. And honestly, I wish the story ended right here. This would be a great sermon to say, you know what? Some of you are too comfortable and you need to give, 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 because God needs something better than what he has right now. But we're not that church and I'm not that guy. I'm not going to do that. What I'm going to say is this, even as well-intentioned as David was, all he wanted to do was build a temple for God. There's nothing wrong with that. As well-intentioned as he was, he was letting the anxiety of good intentions take over. I want you to hear this. It's not my responsibility. It's not your responsibility to be anxious about our good intentions or whether or not we're doing enough for God is our responsibility to be obedient to what God asks us to do. Here's how it plays out. I have to be involved with youth group. I have to be a leader there. And I have to help out in children's. I have to be part of the ushering team. You know what? My kid has this project going on in school. I've got to help him out with that project as well. They're going to have a bake sale. Good. I'll be a part of the bake sale as well. And I got to do, 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 do. And you get so busy doing work for God that you forget to do God's work. And so when the family moves into town, they live two houses down from you. They have kids your age and God wants you to go and hang out with them. God wants you to go and take them out to dinner. You go, okay, God, where can I pencil that in? Because I have too much going on. And for some of us, we are so focused on our good intentions that we can't do what God intends us to do. Now, I want to say... If you're doing a lot of stuff, if you have a lot of irons in the fire, it doesn't necessarily mean that you're doing the wrong things. But what it might mean is that you're not doing the right things. Let's move on. Second Samuel 4-7. through 7. That night, the word of the Lord came to Nathan saying, Go and tell my servant David. Stop for a second. The first two verses, David is referred to as king. Not even King David, just king. There's a possibility that David started getting a little bit too big for his britches. And God's like, you know what? Don't get it twisted. Don't forget who you are. You're still my servant. God, go and tell my servant David that is what the Lord says. Are you the one to build me a house to dwell in? I have not dwelt in a house from the day I brought the Israelites up out of Egypt to this day. I have been moving from place to place with a tent as my dwelling. Wherever I have moved with all the Israelites, did I ever say to any of their rulers who I commanded to shepherd my people Israel, why have you not built me a house of cedar? This is what God is saying. Um, Who told you to do this? Because I didn't. I don't need this. I don't want this. Yes, what you want to do is good and great, but I don't want you to do it. The answer is no. We're actually told in 2 Chronicles, God says no, uh, because you have too much blood on your hands. You're not the one that's going to build a temple for me. Now, entering in this, I've got to let you know, I intentionally said five main reasons. God says no to your request. I'm not going to say this is every reason, but the five main reasons are these. Number one, you have the wrong relationship or relationships. 
That's what Mark says. And when you stand praying, if you hold anything against anyone, forgive him so that your father in heaven may forgive you your sins. Here's the point. For some of you, you are wondering why God isn't answering with a yes, why God is not saying, yeah, you can go ahead and do this, why God's not giving you a thumbs up. And honestly, it's because you're holding something against someone else. Whether it be the person at work that stabbed you in the back. (laughs) Sorry, our computer (laughs) slapped. Whether it be the person at work who stabbed you in the back. Whether it be the person that you call husband or wife. Whether it be your kids that are going crazy. You are saying, God, I want your blessings. I want your grace. I want your love. I want all of this for me. And he goes, you're willing to accept that, but you won't give it to this person? Good luck with that. I have to say something else because I I feel as though I won't be doing the Bible justice if I uh, don't say this. Every single one of us are God's creation. God loves you. God has known you from before you were even born, before you even thought of. God desperately wants a relationship with you. But we're not all God's children. This is what I mean. To be part of God's family... It's a decision that you make. God doesn't have grandkids, so it doesn't matter what your parents did. It's a decision that you make with what you're going to do with his free grace that he offers to you. And when you accept it, you're part of the family. But until then, it seems a little strange to make requests as if you're part of the family. Let me, let me explain it this way. I love having kids every once in a while. And the reason why I love it is because sometimes I get to see my childhood in them. And right now, uh, Jack, my oldest, has this Toys R Us flyer that came in the mail, and he's constantly circling things, saying, Daddy, can I have this? Daddy, can I have this for Christmas? I'm like, bro, it's like five more months to Christmas. But I remember when I was his age, we had these things called the uh, Sears catalog. Do you guys remember the Sears catalog, right? Came mid-August. So you would get, get the catalog, turn to the back 100 pages, and it was all toys. It was the best thing in the world. And so what I would do is I would get my pen, and I'd say, I want that, and 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 start dog-earing pages. I even go to the girl section. I'm like, oh, easy bake oven. I can get that. I can get that. I would do that, and then I would strategically kind of slyly place it in a place where my parents might see it, like, you know, their pillow or something like that, so they know exactly what I want for Christmas. Now... How much sense would it make if I go through all the effort of marking everything I want, I walk out of my house, I walk to my next door neighbor's house, and I go, buy me this? It doesn't make any sense because I'm not part of their family. I want to let you know that as much as God loves you, as much as God cares for you, when you are making these requests, it makes a lot less sense if you're not part of the family. So I want to tell you All you have to do to be part of the family is say, Jesus, save me. That's it. That's all you have to do. Maybe you have the wrong relationship. Number two, number two, you have the wrong motives. James says, when you ask, you do not receive because you ask with the wrong motives that you may spend what you get on your pleasures. For those of you who know me, you know that I am an avid, avid NBA fan. Love basketball. Go Lakers. We're going to be terrible for the next 10 years or whatever. Warriors and their stupid video game team, whatever. Anyway, anyway, 
Anyway, when I was a kid, there were two basketball players I really admired. One was David Robinson, the Admiral. This guy played for the Spurs, number one pick, guy was an MVP, amazing. Another guy who was a little less known was A.C. Green. A.C. Green played for the Lakers, had a big old jerry curl. It was, it was awesome, right? And so I, I really admired these guys, not because they were just good basketball players, but they were good guys. They were outspoken Christians. You know, A.C. Green was a, um, was a teammate of Magic Johnson, and Magic Johnson said that he would intentionally try to get A.C. Green into situations where he would have to do things that were completely against what he believed, just to get the guy to trip up, and A.C. Green never gave into it. In fact, A.C. Green was a virgin until he was 40 when he got married. That's insane. So I looked at these guys, and I was like, you know what? I love God. These guys love God, and they're on TV giving God praise. Little 10-year-old Terrence. Dear Jesus, I know I'm only 5'2", but Jesus, I pray that when I wake up tomorrow morning, please make me 6 feet 5 inches tall so that I can play in the NBA and at the end of the game, I can say, you know why? I'm this tall because Jesus did it. Amen. And I felt like I got shorter. I'm like, what is going on? And this is what happened. When you really look at my motives, it wasn't about God at all. I wanted the house, I wanted the money, I wanted the fame, I wanted all of that. Even from the outside, it looked good. God knew my motives. And I'm going to tell you, um, if God said yes to every prayer that you prayed over the course of the last week, how would this world be different? Now, hear me. I'm not saying how would your world be different. I'm not saying who would be richer, who would be healed. I'm talking about the world as a whole. Because that's what God's plan is, isn't it? To be, bring blessings to people that are just, not just in our circle of influence, but outside of it. So let me ask you, who are you, who are you praying for that if God comes through for them, it's of little benefit to you? Let me ask you a different thing. <laughs> oh boy, this could be bad. Um, are you guys praying for Donald Trump? and for Hillary Clinton right now. Now, I know some of you are praying that things might happen to them, but are you praying for them? Are you praying for God to step in in an amazing way and do something miraculous in their life so that they can have a huge impact on this country for God? Now, I I want you to understand something. God wants to do that. So are you praying for that? Now, I'm going to say something. I've got the mic, so you guys got to listen, all right? 0.0001% is the effectivity rate of going on a Facebook rant about politics and expecting someone to say, oh my goodness, you completely changed my mind. Thank you. It doesn't happen. We live in one of the most diverse areas in this country, and you can have someone right next to you right now that is a polar opposite from you politically. Not only that, but you don't know what people are thinking about you as a Christian, based on what you say on Facebook. So I'm going to remind you guys real quick. This is going to be a historical election. Absolutely. Completely agree with you. This could have a major impact on what happens with our kids. Yes, completely agree with you. But you're crazy if you think that who we get in the White House is going to solve our world. You're crazy if you're placing your hope on a politician. So I'm going to remind you that our allegiance, our first allegiance, 
It's not to a flag. It's not to a country. It's not to a politician. It's not to democracy. It's not even to blood. Our first allegiance is and always will be to God and his kingdom. And what you say with your mouth affects how people think about you. But don't forget what you choose to type or share does the same thing. Sorry, a little bit too convicting. Let's go on. Number three. (laughs) Sorry, number three. You have the wrong lifestyle. The prayer of a righteous man is powerful and effective. That word righteous actually means right standing. And so when you're praying for God to step in and do something amazing, but then you look at the fact that you're ignoring what his word says about your relationship with your boyfriend or girlfriend, what it says about your drinking, what it says about your anger, what it says about your mouth, what it says about, and you can go on and on and on. God's like, it seems like you're trying to control your life on your own. When you're ready, when you're ready, I'll be there. Maybe your lifestyle is what's getting in the way. Number four, you have the wrong amount of faith. You have the wrong amount of faith. James says, but when he asks, he must believe and not doubt. Um, over the course of the last couple of weeks, I've had a lot of people say to me, well, I guess all we can do is pray. And it sounds like our last resort. Like, I'm, I'm sorry, the only thing we can do at this point is pray to the God who spoke the very world into existence. Um, that doesn't seem like a last resort. That should probably be our first resort. Our God is ready, willing, and able to listen and respond. Here's the last one, and we're going to stay on this one for the rest of the time. Maybe you have the wrong things in mind. The wrong things are mind. That's what First John says. It says, if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. And for many of us, we're asking for things. And God's saying, I have something in mind for you that stretches far beyond what you could ever imagine. So when you get a no from God, when you get a no from God, this should be your, the first thing you do is open your ears. Open your ears. Second Samuel 7, 8 and 9. I took you from the pasture and following the flock to be ruler over my people of Israel. I have been with you wherever you have gone, and I have cut off all of your enemies from before you. Uh, when God tells us no, he doesn't just simply say no, but he reminds us who we are and how precious, how precious we are to him. Now, remind, remember, this is not God speaking to David. This is God speaking to Nathan. I say, Nathan, I want you to go back to David and tell him all of this. The Lord declares that you, the Lord himself, will establish a house for you. When your days are over and you rest with your fathers, I will raise up your offspring to succeed you, who will come from your own body, and I will establish his kingdom. He is the one who will build a house for my name, and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. For so many of us, no is the end. We act like, we act like my three-year-old. When I tell him no, we stomp off, uh, just like him, look for his brother or sister and punch them and then go and, and just be by himself and pout. And for a lot of us, when God says no to us, we just go off and pout and that's the end of the story. But for God, that's never the end of the story. For God, a lot of times he says no because you have no idea that what you're asking for is so, so much smaller than what I want to give you. But for some of us, God says no, and we go, you know what? I'm going to go after that anyway. That's what brings me the most pleasure. And honestly, in the end, it brings us the most pain. We have visions and ideas and dreams and things that we think are great and well within, well within what God wants for us. They're noble, but they're not right for us. I got to tell you that a lot of times in my life, 
Uh, God is trying to speak to me either directly from his word or through other people, and I have not been receptive to it. This is one of the things. In my life, I was pretty sure that I would never have a daughter. And the reason why I say that is because I remember myself as a teenager and I didn't want to have to go through that with a girl is usually frowned upon when you lock someone up for 40 years. But that was what I had to do to my daughter, right? That's where I feel like right now. So my wife's at work one day and she has um, a patient that says, hey, um, I want you to know that you are pregnant with a little girl. And so she's excited. She comes home. She tells me and she goes, hey, there was a lady at work and I don't know. I can't explain it. But she wants us to know that we're going to have a little girl. And I'm like, when? She goes, now. Like, I'm pregnant right now. And I'm like, she's a crackhead. Like, what are you talking about? You're pregnant right now, right? But lo and behold, it was absolutely true. But I was not receptive to it at all. My wife was receptive. She was, she was completely joyful. She was amazed that God would step in in such an amazing way and tell her something that was directly for her. And yet I was convinced that there's no way that it's true. You know, I, I, I want you to know that you have people in your life right now that are trying to speak truth directly into your life. But you've got to be receptive and ready to hear it. And I was always told growing up that you have two ears and one mouth so that you listen twice as much as you speak. And that comes from James when James says we need to be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to get angry. And I've always applied this to my relationship with, with family, my relationship with friends, my relationship at work. But honestly, when it's, ta- when it's talking about it in the book of James, it's actually talking about your relationship to this word. That if you are not quick to listen to what the word says, and you're slow, you have to be slow to speak against it and get mad, it can change your life. Do you remember the old radios? I feel, you know what's really weird is that I realized this week that I am that old guy. Because I was talking to someone at work and they didn't know what an eight track was. Uh, they didn't know, they didn't know that radios used to not be digital. And I'm like, alright, I'm that guy now, get my walker. So, um, do you remember the old, the old radios? I remember my mom and dad had it in their car where it had the dial and you had to really dial in exactly what station that you wanted. And if you're a little bit too high or a little bit too low, it would be kind of staticky and you would get the gist of what was on the station, but you really wouldn't get anything because you couldn't hear it very well. I want to let you know that sometimes for us in our Christian walk, it sounds like we're getting static. It's because we're not dialed in. Our primary way of hearing from God is not through inspirational quotes on Facebook. It's not through talking with friends. It's not even through me or David or whoever else is up here. It's through this word. And if you are not intentionally reading the word and applying what it says to your life, as James says, it's a mirror. And too many of us look at it, we see what we need to change, and we walk away changing nothing. And until you begin applying what this says, you will get static in your life. So let me ask you, how are you applying what this says about your relationships? Are you avoiding the things that God tells you to avoid? Or are you running headfirst into them? What about your prayer life? What about Bible study? Are you serving anywhere? Are you intentionally avoiding sin? Because I'm telling you, if you seem, if it feels like you're getting static, it may be because you're not dialed in to what this book is trying to say to you. Point number two, check your attitude. Check your attitude. Second Samuel 7, 18 through 22, or 22. So, 
Nathan goes back and tells him everything that God says. Now, we don't have a part where David says that's not fair. You have to understand that I am the king. I have done everything that God expects me to do, but he's not going to let me build the temple. He doesn't say this. This is what he says. How great you are, O sovereign Lord. There was no one like you, and there's no God but you. We're told that David was able to make all of the plans for the temple, but God did not allow him to build it. And I'm telling you, in church, we have far, many, far too many people that are not willing to plant trees unless they're going to be around to eat the apples. I'm going to say that again. I want you to understand. We have far too many people that are not willing to plant trees unless they're going to be around to eat the apples. We have too many people that are looking for what's going to bring the most glory and the most satisfaction to them where God's saying, you know what? Maybe that's not what I have in mind for you. Yes, I understand that you love singing. I understand that you love Jesus and you want to worship him with your voice. But nobody's trying to hear that. No, we're looking for what's going to bring us the most praise. And this is our dream. And how dare God dash our dream? In Scotland, a family by the name of Clark had a dream. Husband and wife with their nine children wanted to immigrate to the United States. To make that dream a reality, they struggled, scrimped, and saved. And finally, they managed to accumulate enough money and obtain the paperwork they needed to take the trip and to begin a new life in a new land. Ship reservations were made and the family was ecstatic. Then, as often happens, tragedy struck. Seven days before they were to leave, the youngest of the children, a little boy, was bitten by a dog. The bite wasn't that bad, and the doctor stitched the lad up in no time at all. But the tragedy was that the doctor also had to hang a yellow sign on the Clark's front door. The yellow sign warned everybody to stay away because there was a possibility, a very small chance, that the boy had contracted rabies from the bite of the unknown dog. The ship was to sail in one week, but the family was quarantined for two weeks. They would have to stay behind as their ship and their dreams sailed into the sunset. The father, outraged at what he felt was unjust and unfair, and from a non-loving God. He went down to the pier to stare at the ship as it set out. Furious at God, frustrated with his son, he cried and he cursed. And he stayed that way. Then only a few days after the vessel had left port, he got word that on April 15th, the very ship which just brought them to a new life had sunk. The Titanic had gone down. As it disappeared, it took with it nearly 1,500 passengers. Hearing the news, Mr. Clark's attitude was instantly transformed. Plainly, powerfully, and prayerfully, he thanked God because their lives have been spared. I want to let you know that what we look at, when we look at this, and we look at what it says about our lives, and we look at the roadblocks that God's putting up, and we look at the no's that we're getting, Sometimes we think it's the worst, but it's God seeing far past what we see and saying, trust me. I'm trying to protect you, and I'm trying to give you something far better than you could ever hope for or even imagine. Be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to get angry. Here's the last thing. Hold on to God's promises. 
hold on to God's promises. A group of senior citizens were sitting around talking about their ailments. Well, my arms have gotten so weak, I can hardly lift this cup of coffee, said one. Well, yes, I know, said another. I can't even pull weeds in my garden. My hands are so crippled. Well, my cataracts are so bad, I can't read the paper, said a third. What? What? I can't hear you. Speak up, said another. I can't turn my head because of the arthritis in my neck, said another, to which several nodded, weakly in agreement. Well, my blood pressure pills make me dizzy, exclaimed a woman. I forget where I'm going, chimed in another one. Well, I guess that's the price we pay for getting old, winced an old man as he slowly shook his head. The others nodded in agreement. Well, count your blessings, said one woman cheerfully, and thank God we're still able to drive. (laughs) That's terrifying. Um, Let me ask you something. When life throws you a curveball, when life comes at you, and what you see is not what you expect. Do you truly count your blessings? Do you truly count your blessings? God has many things that we can hold on to, but we have to hold on to God's promises. Hold on to his present, his present promises. We're told in Hebrews 13.5 that he'll never leave us. He'll never forsake us. We're told in Genesis 15.1 that he is our shield. We're told in Isaiah 41.10 that he will strengthen us. We're told in 1 John 1.9 that if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Psalms 84.11 says that he holds back nothing good from us. 1 Samuel 12 says the Lord will not reject his people. When you get to a point where life is not what you expect it to be, we have these things called smartphones. Take it out and Google God's promises and read the list of everything he said he'll be in your life. Now, in the middle of it, everything he will be in your life. Because when we enter these situations that are hurting, that are hopeless, there is a hope. And that hope is God. His past providence. I know some of you, and I know your story, and it is absolutely, utterly ridiculous that you're at church today. You should be dead. I'm not going to lie. You should be dead. And at the point that you are now clean and sober is God. For some of you, you were sitting next to a person that two, three, four years ago, you swore you guys would be divorced. But God has stepped in in an amazing way and he has done something that you would never expect. For some of you, you have a job right now that you love and you thought that God would never bring it about, but you absolutely love where you are right now. For some of you, you have none of that story because God loves you enough to protect you from all of it. God has done stuff amazing in our lives. And if we are strictly looking at what's happening right now and we're sulking because of the no right now, we forget about how much God has done in our past. Look at your past, but look at the future, the future promises. Let's put Second Samuel back up there. I, I read through this quickly, but I want you guys to notice something. The Lord declares to you, this is God talking about David, that the Lord himself will establish a house for you. When your days are over and you rest with your fathers, I will raise up your offspring to succeed you, who will come from your own body and I will establish his kingdom. He is the one who will build a house for my name, and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. This is called a Davidic covenant. And what he's literally saying, Jesus, the savior of the world, is going to come through your line. He's going to come right through your family line. God has promised good things for us. 
absolutely good things for us. But sometimes it's not what we expect. Sometimes we expect God to meet our expectations. But God says, no, I, um, I want to exceed them. Real quick, I want to look at first, I want to look at John real quick. The verses aren't going to be up there. I'm going to read them for you. John 11, it starts, it's the death of Lazarus. It says, now a man named Lazarus was sick. He was from Bethany, the village of Mary and her sister Martha. This, this Mary, whose brother Lazarus now lay sick, was the same one who poured perfume on the Lord and wiped his feet with her hair. So the sister sent word to Jesus, Lord, the one you love is sick. This is some of Jesus' best friends. And they send word to Jesus saying, you know, we need you to step in right now. Leave what you're doing. Step in right now and heal our brother. But Jesus doesn't leave what he's doing. He heads there when he gets news that Lazarus has died. And he shows up. And Martha, being Martha, says, you know what? If you're just here. If you're just here, if you would have done what we expected, my brother would be healed and he wouldn't be dead now. And Jesus says, you know, I, I want you to know that one day your brother will live again. And she goes, yes, I know at the res- resurrection of the dead, they'll all live again. And Jesus says, you know what? You don't understand. You think the resurrection is an event? The resurrection is a person, and I am the resurrection. I am the life. And he who believes in me will never die. And he walks over to the tomb where Lazarus is, and he goes, Lazarus! Lazarus! Lazarus is dead, so he doesn't hear very well. Lazarus! Lazarus, come out! And Lazarus gets up, and he comes out of the tomb. And in that day... Not only did God take care of what they wanted, but they did so much more than they ever expected. I've got to tell you, in our lives right now, we get hung up on where we are, and we say, I'm with this guy, and I love this guy, and i got to be with this guy, and God, just help us be together forever. And then for some reason, the guy leaves you, and you're done. And two to three years from now, you're with the next guy, And you look back and you're like, God, thank you so much for not letting me marry this guy. That old guy, he played Pokemon Go and he lived in his mom's basement. And the new guy has a job and he loves you and he loves me. That's amazing. But until you get to that point, you've got to hold on to God's promises that he has something good for you. For some of you, you want God to give you a job right now. And you have a job in mind that you want and you're not going to get it. And nine months from now, you'll have the new job and look back at the other job and they're laying people off. And you'll say, God, thank you so much. Thank you for so much for seeing what I couldn't see. For some of you, your kids are going buck wild right now. And you know what I'm talking about. They are going in a direction that's absolutely terrible. And you're saying, God, rescue them right now. And God's saying, you don't understand that every single thing they're going through, they're going to use for my glory one day. They're going to be able to tell people that there is a way out of a living hell to worship an amazing God. But you got to hold on as a parent. I'm letting you know right now, you are praying for someone who is sick, and you want God to step in and completely heal them physically. And he's saying, you know what? My Holy Spirit right now is drawing them unto myself. And you're worried about three more years here on earth, they're going to have an eternity in heaven. But hold on. you got to hold on. I'm telling you, in the life of this church, 
over and over and over again. I've seen times where God has stepped in and said no, and we've had to hold on until we see why he's saying it. Let's put this first picture up there. Many of you guys don't recognize this, but about five, six years ago, this is a place over by the Y. Five, six years ago, we were trying to purchase this for our new building. I went there one night, and I laid hands. Sounds really weird. I laid hands on the building. I literally kneeled down in front of the building and put my hands on the building and I'm praying. Now, when a security guard came up and asked what I was doing, it was hard for me to explain that. But I, I put hands on this because I knew this is what God had for us. And God said, no. So we moved on to the next place. This used to be the West County Times building. And we were sure this is what God had for us. It was in a great location. It was the, the price that we wanted. And this was going to be great. This was going to be the new home of Bay Hills Community Church. And God said, no. Next picture. Many of you guys don't know this, but we were thinking about renovating the old movie theaters inside of Hilltop. And that was going to be our church. Think about how amazing that would be. There's nothing bad about asking for that. We're right there in the middle of the mall where people walking by who need Jesus would see us and be able to go there. And God said, no. We looked at schools. We looked at so many different places. And God said, you don't understand what I see. Because there's a guy at First Baptist El Sobrani named Charlie that needs a blessing too. And what's going to happen is that I'm going to bless him and you at the same time. And this is what we have now. That's, that's going to be our new facility because God saw far beyond what we could see. I want to tell you, our God is not slow to answer. Our God is not deaf. Our God is loving. He knows where you are. He sees what's going on. And if you're getting a no from him, maybe, maybe the first step is to open your ears and see if he's trying to speak to you through his word, through other people in your life, and point you in a different direction. If you're getting a no, maybe you need to check your attitude and see that when God's no, if that's the end of the story for you, then you don't have the right attitude. But if you're getting a no, you also need to hold on to the promises of God. He is a good God who loves you and has more in store for you than you could ever hope for or ever imagine. Let's pray. God, I thank you so much for your word. I thank you so much for just how good of a God you are. I can look back at my life and see that I never would have made it without you. God, I pray for every person in this room that in the middle of disappointment, in the middle of fear, in the middle of hopelessness, that you are our hope. God, I thank you. I thank you for the truth of your word. And I pray that today, even in this moment, you help us truly trust in you. In your son's name, amen. It's our hope that today's podcast has enriched your life and answered questions you may have had. If you'd like more information about what was said in this podcast or about Bay Hills Community Church, 
You can reach us on the internet at www.bayhills.net. Bay Hills, located in El Sobrante, California, exists to help everyone take their next step closer to Jesus. Thanks again for listening.